We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show presented by Rotor Grinders. It's week six. I'm your host, Travis Mangone, back with the usual crew. We got Stuart. We got Brandon Adams. We'll kick it off with you first, Brandon. How's it going over there? How was your week? How is no Christian McCaffrey? Uh, it was a tough week. It wasn't a complete disaster. I had, uh, I don't know, it was maybe negative 35% ROI which as you know, is, is not one of those total disaster weeks. It happens often enough where you're negative 90, 98% ROI in the kind of big field tournaments that I do. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a total disaster. Listen, that's okay when you're living the GBB life. So I, I totally get it. Uh, don't worry. There's no McCaffrey on the main slate, right? We have him in the London game. So that'll be good for you. Uh, who knows what'll happen. Maybe, maybe it'll be worse. Cause maybe he does have the dud game cause he gets the bucks again, but uh, we'll have to see how that all plays out. Over to you, Stuart. How was your week? Uh, how'd you feel about the chalk, the GPP life? How did it all go for you? I didn't do that much GPP. Uh, I was mostly cash this week and did well. I mean, I, I had McCaffrey, didn't have uh, Will Fuller in cash, but it's okay when you get, you know, 100 points from McCaffrey and Aaron Jones um, and, you know, was on was on the right uh, game for quarterbacks. Um, so, yeah, did okay. Uh, week six, uh, looking to be pretty tough, uh, but I don't know. I'm kind of bummed I'm missing out on the uh, Astros game five right now. 
I, uh, it's going to be a good game and uh, hope to catch the end of it after the show. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to catch that game when we get off the show too. Watch and see how the game goes. But uh, yeah, last week was fun for me. I had Will Fuller, Michael Thomas, uh, and I had Christian McCaffrey in cash and listen, almost had Aaron Jones. Uh, very close. Uh, so it was a good week for me. Can't complain all around every site. Uh, had a good one. So uh, looking to, you know, rebuild, like build off of that and have another good week here. So let's kind of dive in. Let's talk about uh, last week a little bit and talk about the recap. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot went on, Brandon. Uh, There's so much happened. So give us your take on what happened in week five. Uh, give us a recap. Well, it was it was one of those weeks where uh, chalk went off to an extraordinary degree. So you felt great about your raw scores, but they didn't they didn't necessarily make a lot of money. Um, I happen to have a ton of Watson and a ton of Atlanta Houston exposure and a decent bit of uh, fuller exposure that's why I was able to survive uh, despite having having uh, no McCaffrey um, I was a, maybe a bit higher than the field on Aaron Jones so that was a savior I had uh, way too much Julio as we discussed I loved Julio on the week and I loved Hopkins and went chalky there, and that was not good. Um, so it was actually um, it was actually quite tough to run a normal game stack on the Houston Atlanta. You kind of just had to nail Watson to Fuller. Um, and yeah, for me, I went uh, I, I went a bit too chalky there on the high price receivers. As as you know, I was high on them going into the week, and and that was that was tough. Well, for good reason. I mean, you saw the opportunity was there. Like uh, it was a phenomenal spot for those guys and they're in phenomenal spots again. And uh, you know, as you can tell, like you saw what Will Fuller could do. I mean, you know, DeAndre Hopkins has that same exact upside. So uh, yeah, I think that's perfectly, uh, you know, perfectly fine. I get it. Uh, you know, the, the week will come for you, right. Where those big damn receivers will, will get there. for you. Well, we, we favored uh, lineups that had the top tier wide receivers with some spin down running backs and, the type of construction that we looked at would have had, say, a David Montgomery, Aaron Jones, and that was that was a great combo. Um, we just we just didn't get there against uh, some of the other chalky lineups that spent up at running back. Yeah, Stuart, one thing that you and I, uh, we definitely talked about a lot. I don't know how much Brandon touched on, but Aaron Jones, I remember you talking about him a ton. I, I liked him a lot as well. Um, Aaron Jones is a great hit. Uh, I'm sure he helped you out a ton last week. Uh, what were some other recaps that you had from last week that you uh, really enjoyed? Yeah, I mean, the Atlanta, like, I think, you know, last week proved to be one of those weeks where, like, you could be on the right game. Uh, and, and obviously being on the side of, you know, Will Fuller and Watson, I think where, you know, was, there was kind of separation was if you got the Atlanta side right. And um, I don't know, I, I tend to run like pretty, uh, you know, wide stacks where I'm like double stacking on the quarterback side and running backs on, on uh, the opposite side. And like that was, I think, uh, kind of a strategy where you might have gotten into trouble if you were running Fuller and Hopkins because in like a big field tournament, uh, you know, it was kind of that Fuller single stack that, that was really the hit. And um you know, I, I kind of was leaning towards uh, Julio on the Atlanta side. And, um, you know, I think I had Ridley and Hooper in separate lineups. And, like, those were kind of the Atlanta guys that maybe worked reasonably well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of how it goes. I think when, when the, you have a game like that Atlanta-Houston game where it was just so clear to me that that was the game I wanted to target, uh, you know, you try, you try to sprinkle it around as much as you can. I, I had been 
doing, I've been the past couple of weeks only doing the three entry maxes. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's impossible to get to like all the combinations that you might want to get to cover uh, that game. Uh, if you know, you're only running three. Um, but yeah, I mean, Aaron Jones, I, I, I was kind of on from the get go. And I mean, a total blow up spot, uh, no Devonte Adams, no Jamal Williams. And um, yeah, I mean, he like Jones was kind of in this, uh, not Eckler type role from a receiving standpoint, but just a, a guy who's like a really good running back who, uh, you know, in the past has been limited by his volume and kind of a split with other running backs. And uh, it was very clear that he was going to be that go-to guy. I mean, obviously four, four touchdowns is the kind of extreme ceiling that he could have hit, but um, I think it was quite, uh, it was quite clear that, you know, he was going to be such a featured part uh, of the Green Bay running game. And I mean, Matt LaFleur, I think, back to his time in Tennessee as a guy who wants to lean on the run uh, when given the opportunity. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of saw that as an easy spot to get to. Uh, yeah. Like you said, Michael Thomas, I mean, just so egregiously underpriced uh, also like hit an outcome ceiling, but still, I mean, I don't think there was really any doubt in my mind that he was going to be uh, in my cash roster. Um, yeah. And then a quarterback, I mean, I, I think uh, there were some viable considerations like Carson Wentz, um, but I, uh, you know, just given kind of the the air yards expectation for that Houston Atlanta game, uh, it was really between Matt Ryan and Deshaun Watson. And stuck with Ryan so that I could pay up kind of elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I think either of those guys made a ton of sense uh, leading into the weekend and obviously paid out as, as kind of we had expected uh, at the end of Sunday. Yeah, it's all about volume, at least for the running backs for me. I just want the guys that are just getting fed a ton of volume. Guys like Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones in the spot, you know, David Johnson. Uh, Brandon, what do you think of all these volume running backs uh, and how are you approaching them going forward? Have you adjusted things based on last week? Or are you saying, hey, last week's a week the chalk exploded. You're just like, you know, I'm going to, you know, just keep, keep doing what I'm doing and, uh, you know, just keep humming along. Yeah, for me, it's uh, keep doing what I'm doing. I think it was uh, just a poor outcomes for, say, Julio and Hopkins. Although, if you knew their ownership numbers ahead of time, you you have to hesitate, right? There were in the big field contest, like 28%, 25%, stuff like that. Um, also, we had talked about some of the chalky, cheap wide receivers. Those were way too heavily owned. We should have foreseen that and been off of them. Like Auden Tate was 50, 55% in some tournaments. That should have you off of him. And it's worth noting that um, on weeks where you do have these chalk wide receivers that are three to four K Stuart and I have done a good bit of work there. And we've talked about how the top tier wide receivers have access to a very unique ceiling. Um, it's also true that the wide receivers price say 3000 to 4,500, even when they're in these great spots, they rarely score above 20, 23 fantasy points. So on a typical week, you're hoping for 20 from like your Auden Tates or your Kiki Kutes. Um, you're hoping for, for 20 points. And if they get 20 points, then most weeks they're must-haves in your lineup. Um, but on a typical tournament week, if you get the 12, 14-point outcome, you can still win a tournament if you nail all the other spots. But this this was not one of those weeks. If you had... If you filled a position with with one of these guys that scored 12 points, you were dead. 
Yeah, it's funny, like you mentioned, uh, you know, going like a cheaper receiver and, and kind of one thing I ended up doing is I, I pivoted off of uh, Tate on one of my GBP teams to Kike Kute. But you know what happened when I did that? I was playing Matt Ryan that lineup, but I was running it back with a Texan and two Falcons. And uh, so since I got Kute, I lost uh, Will Fuller, who was my guy that I had. So that was kind of frustrating for me. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think like I, I got off of a guy like Tate because I thought the ownership was just too high. And uh, he certainly did get there, right? Like he, he, he got there at least from a value perspective and made it work because of the guys around him, right? He got that late touchdown, but he did. He was looking really bad and like a really bad candidate uh, in going into like the fourth quarter of that game. Yeah. Do we agree that Kuche was probably under-owned based on the situation? Like he was owned at 7 to 10%, given his pricing and opportunity set, he, he probably should have had higher ownership than that. So he was a good play ex-ante, a bad play ex-post. Yeah, I think if like the week, if you flipped around the, the Tate news and the Kike Kute news, I think if you just flipped them completely, the ownerships would have been opposite. Uh, Stuart, what do you kind of think of that, about that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think the absence of Kenny Stills uh, opened up some opportunity for Kike Kute. Um, yeah, we just saw the Texans use like tight ends more than uh, I think kind of people might've expected at least more than I had expected. And uh, perhaps that cut into, you know, Kute's upside a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's not that Kiki Kute didn't get there. I mean, I think he what, put up like close to 10 various uh, points, not from a tournament standpoint, that's probably not going to do it for you. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a bad play at all. I mean, he, he's shown uh, last year, the ability to uh, really go off uh, in good spots where, uh, you know, he's a guy that Sean Watson's going to look for underneath and um you know, those running backs of Houston just haven't really factored in, in in a big way at all. I mean, Duke Johnson, uh guy I was really excited for the Texans to get, uh, just hasn't been a part of the Texans offense at all. And uh, yeah, you would think that that would benefit Kute as kind of a short, uh, you know, short yardage receiving option. Uh, didn't work last week, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kenny Stills is out again. Uh, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable to try try that route uh, again, especially if, if ownership on Fuller is, is really high, even at that elevated price tag. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about the week five recap, Stuart? Do you want to move on to the uh, the chalk not going off and talk about that a little bit, which is kind of similar to what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, same thing. Um, I, I uh, and kind of what we were talking about with Auden Tate, uh, just kind of want to get y'all's opinion about what what is, uh, you know, we have these guys in like Auden Tate was a guy, I don't think Mixon was really chalk per se, but he actually, you know, I played him in cash and uh, thought he was a pretty viable play. And uh, like, it just be, I, I kind of underestimated how bad that Cincinnati offense is. And um yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to understand how you guys are handling uh, some of these plays that like are seemingly in good spots, but are just a part of a anemic offense. And, and uh, you know, even as much as we want to play, you know, Auden Tate, Joe Mixon, Tyler Eifert against uh, an Arizona team that's a good, you know, appears to be a good spot for these guys. Uh, trying to hamper our expectations. I mean, I think we, we kind of have a uh, example of it coming up this week where I think, you know, you could go some Miami Washington guys. Uh, those are perceived to be good matchups for those players um but i don't know i mean those those offenses have seen you know have, have appeared to be pretty anemic uh lately and I don't know, i'm just curious to kind of know how you guys are handling some of these guys in good spots but are part of clearly bad teams and if that's somewhere you're willing to go or something you want to stay away from yeah i think for myself like uh with the cardinal situation like we've played that game because of the pace 
and, and the high total. And I think that played in part. And like this Washington and Dolphins game doesn't really have that going for it. Like you could totally see each of these teams getting up and just like really running the ball in the fourth quarter and just trying to play conservative. You can see both sides just playing very slow. I think that's one of the reasons why we're really on that Cincinnati game. And one thing to note too about that game is there were a lot of field goals kicked like within like the red zone and like at the goal line. So um, there's also that that played factor in. So um, yeah, Brandon, what's your kind of take on uh, the Cincinnati situation? Well, um, I think, okay, neither Stuart and I, uh, neither Stuart nor I bet, uh, bet games. So one, one part of the analytics that is a theoretical improvement for us is, is looking at, uh, some intricacies of the betting markets. And I kind of have the philosophy that NFL is a very efficient market. And so we can go by spreads and totals quite carefully, but there, I do think, I do think you get some subtleties. If we take, for instance, the 49ers Browns example from Monday night football, um, that was, that was a game where I sort of looked at it and intuitively wanted to bet the Browns. I, I didn't bet, but it, intuitively I wanted to. And I imagine a lot of the public intuitively wanted to, and it was, it was one of these setups where the, the money kept going to the, the 49ers and the, the line kept getting more in the 49ers favorite, uh, more in the 49ers favor, but the public kept stubbornly hammering uh, the Browns. So the public was thinking like I was that it looked like a great situation and the but the the line was going the other way. You had that reverse line movement situation, and and the um, the reality was that the 49ers destroyed them, and Cleveland looked terrible. Uh, so um, we have we have these unique situations where there you might be able to add some information to the line, as unlikely as that seems, um, and if you had. I don't know, paid attention to the intricacies of the betting there. Maybe you would have been more on the 49ers guys. Um, so I think, um, I think these are kind of special and hard to define situations. Cleveland is going to be somewhat of an unknown. Cincinnati is much worse than anyone envisioned. That's going to be an unknown. We have the Miami situation where we have spreads that we've really never seen before. And this is, untread waters for both fantasy and betting um so i think it's you maybe take some punts but know that you're taking a big gamble in these situations um and for me let's just say miami this weekend i live in miami i feel like i know miami a little bit better than most um i i will take some some chances on guys like Preston Williams, Balage as a pure punt and, and Drake um, because uh, the opportunity costs are relatively slight this week. There's there's for me, there's not super strong chalk and you could, I think the value of taking a, taking a big punt this week is higher than other weeks. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, looking maybe in some of these thinner offenses towards the cheaper guys where, you know, the, the cost of a miss isn't as severe, uh, you know, with Auden Tate, like didn't have a great game, but he was also super cheap. So like he couldn't, couldn't wreck a cash lineup for you. And like, 
you know, in a week where maybe not, you know, every chocolate doesn't go off. Like it might not wreck even a tournament lineup. Um, but a guy like Mixon, kind of expensive, where you know if he has the game that he did, um, you know, could could kind of ruin some of your lineup. So uh, I don't know, something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, that I think with those two, the, the point about pace is good, though. I think with uh, you know Washington and Miami, right? Like you're staying away from those uh, teams on account of the pace uh, as much as anything. So. Yeah. Uh, one thing I also want to note that like kind of Brandon said, like I was actually on the Niners more so than the Browns, and the reason why I was more on them is. Like, I really value line, like, offensive and defensive line play. Like, I think that's so important. I think that's something we maybe should have looked at in that Cincinnati and Arizona game more. Like, I just think there's so much value in that, at least when you're betting, right? Uh, if the line is close and I have, like, a significant difference between, like, the offensive and defensive line play, like, I just want to side with them. Like, I know in the fantasy industry, like, and just in general, like, we all know, like, these players like Odell Beckham and all these names, right? Uh, they get us excited and they move the lines and everything, but – uh, in my opinion, like the, the quarterback in the line is just so, so valuable. Um, I'll go to you, uh, Stuart, about this. What do you think like offensive and defensive line play? Like, do you think we don't really talk about that enough in uh, DFS? So one, one thing I want to mention is like Deshaun Watson. Like, I don't like him when he goes up against a really tough defensive line, but the Falcons are not a good defensive line. And so I knew their pressure wouldn't get there with that terrible offensive line in Houston. I knew that they had the opportunity to really hit that ceiling this week. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think it's going to transition well into kind of our next topic where we're talking about, um, you know, QB pressure. But, yeah, I think like you hit on, I mean, quarterback is, I think, that one of the positions that really stands to be impacted by, uh, you know, line, uh, like skill, just kind of imbalances where, yeah, you want to avoid a quarterback who, uh, no matter how good he is or how good his weapons are, if he's got a bad offensive line like uh, Cleveland does, going up against a defensive line that's going to put pressure on the quarterback, that's uh, – you know, potential flight risk there from a just sack standpoint, from an interception standpoint, even like an injury standpoint to some extent. Not that I'm really thinking too much about injury when kind of constructing lineups. And uh, yeah, obviously defense as well. I mean, I think uh, this year to me has been a has been a season where I'm trying to pay more attention to how I'm strategizing with DST uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, we've seen now uh, a few times, I guess, some DSTs have some really big games. Uh, Philadelphia most recently, New England early in the season, even the Saints uh, kind of, I think it was that week three or something. And to me, that's where like looking at line play uh, can really have an impact. I mean, I think we want defenses that are going to be able to put pressure on the quarterbacks going up against offensive lines that are willing or that are seeding pressure to their quarterbacks. So like you said, like Houston feels like more times than not an, an offense that we can attack um, at DST and uh, also feels like Watson's a guy that maybe can't be as trusted uh, going up against a, you know, vaunted pass rush for that reason alone. Uh, Seattle's Seattle and Arizona, I think are two other teams whose uh, offensive line, I kind of like to attack uh, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson team seem to take sacks at a somewhat high rate. Um, so yeah, definitely something I'm paying attention to for quarterback play and for DST selection. Yeah, Brandon, anything else you want to mention about, uh, you know, stuff with the chalk and the situation that we so, kind of saw last week uh, before we run to our next segment? No, I, I think I'm good. Um, I think this week it's worth noting that it is the 10-game slate, which is fundamentally a, a different animal. And um, I think the combination of condensed ownership this week and the fact that the marquee tournaments on DraftKings and FanDuel this week are especially top heavy uh, means that we really want to focus our energies in it. 
identifying pivots away from the chalk because the chalk is not going to make you expected value this week. All righty, Stuart, let's head into our next segment where you want to talk about, you know, defensive pressures and tons of great stuff that I'm excited to learn about. I'm sure that people are going to love. Uh, how about you dive into that topic for us? Yeah, so early this week, I've been working on putting together a projection system for projecting how much pressure a, a given team, a given defense can put on an offense. And I think that's useful for all the reasons we just talked about, uh, trying to avoid quarterbacks who are susceptible to high pressure. Um, I'm definitely, I think my focus is trying to look at it from a DST standpoint. So uh, trying to find defenses that we think can generate a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. Um, so I put together this neat little application that uh, is featured on the ASA site and we'll probably run it for free uh, through the weekend just so you guys can kind of get some familiarity with it and uh, see if it's something you like. Um, so the, the kind of the main, the main tab is pretty straightforward, right? We just have our matchups and the, you know, number of quarterback uh, hits that we're projecting for the game. Uh, that's going to be based on an algorithm that considers thing, you know, Vegas odds like spread and over under. So I think we tend to see kind of more quarterback pressure in uh, high spread games where kind of the team that's ahead can pin their ears back and really uh, pressure the quarterback without fear of being burned by run plays. Uh, also considers just like offensive tendencies. So is that team a pass heavy or run heavy? Is that coaching staff going to be kind of run pass heavy? And we are also looking at kind of the skill uh, or I guess the pressure rate generated and pressure rate allowed by offensive lines. Um, I'm going to pull up this kind of secondary tab, which maybe defines some of the inputs that actually feed into the um, you know projection algorithm. And the two columns I guess I want to call out are these uh, net pressure rate allowed and net pressure rate generated over here. So the generated is going to be for a team, uh, their pressure generated on defense allowed the pressure rate that they allow on offense. And that's, it's kind of based on a algorithm that projects uh, the probability of a quarterback being hit on a given play based on a number of factors, uh, the kind of the game script at the time. So uh, if a team on offense is down by a lot, there's kind of an elevated rate uh, or an elevated probability of being hit uh, the down yards to go yard line that they're at etc and I think we can I mean the way it's calculated this, this rate is essentially a increase or decrease probability of hit rate that an offensive or defensive line generates or allows relative to the expectation given the current state of each play um, so, you know, each play, there's like a probability of, you know, uh, anywhere from like two to maybe 10% that a quarterback gets hit. And then the play carries out and that, uh, that defense and that offense, you know, combine to produce a quarterback hit or they don't. And, you know, then we scale it based on the probability that there was going to be a hit. And then if you sum this up kind of over every drop back that a team runs or a drop back that a team defends, uh, we get kind of this average that is the, uh, kind of what I've dubbed net pressure rate uh, uh, that an offensive line allows or generates. And uh, I think it could be a useful tool if you want to look at what teams are kind of generating pressure at a high rate. So like so far in 2019, Jacksonville uh, is up, is, you know, leading, leading the league in terms of pressure generated above expectation, given kind of the games that they're in. Uh, Cleveland, I think is a team who sees uh, a decent amount of pressure. They uh, on the Sunday slate ranked towards the, I guess top of the slate in terms of net pressure rate, uh, or I'm sorry, they're actually show, showing that they uh, don't see a ton of pressure, but um, that could just be, a, you know, perhaps due to kind of the games that they found themselves in. But uh, 
I think we know, uh, you know, Cleveland generates a lot of pressure on defense and uh, on, on, of, you know, games this week, Cleveland's ranked third in terms of pressure rate generated. And that's going to feed into this algorithm that projects how many QB hits that we're going to see, or we, you know, we might expect to see given the skill of offenses and defensive lines, uh, Vegas, Vegas, uh, Vegas odds and, uh, offensive defensive tendencies. So I think it's a good thing to look at from a DST standpoint. Uh, you know, conventional thought might be to select defenses in terms of their ability to prevent points being scored and prevent kind of negative fantasy outcomes. But we've seen so much uh, fantasy value created on defense through defensive touchdowns and turnovers this year and in previous years that to me, I really want to key on like what teams can generate the most pressure per fantasy dollar um, so I think this will be a useful tool in trying to understand that. So um, I've kind of, we, we just rolled this out, I think yesterday, and I've been looking early at some teams that we expect to generate, you know, a decent amount of pressure this week and maybe comparing it to price. So like Atlanta to me is the defense that going up against Arizona, uh, you know, Arizona is a team that kind of seeds a lot of sacks and Atlanta is not the strongest uh, defensive line, but given what I think is a favorable spread in their, in their favor, uh, we could maybe see how Atlanta could be able to pin their ears back and generate more pressure. They're priced way down. Uh, one of the cheaper defenses on the slate. Uh, the cheapest defense on the slate is New York Jets. And, um, we're, you know, we're, we're not projecting them to generate a ton of pressure uh, against Dallas, but uh, they're not, you know, projected at the bottom. So that, at $1,500, that, that's kind of a team that I'm interested in. Um, yeah, so I wanted to just kind of show this tool uh, for people who are interested and also just kick off a discussion about how you guys are handling DST this year. Um, it seems like a position that I think maybe we need to pay a little more attention to than, than at least I have in previous years. I've kind of been uh, just dumpster diving to, to find, you know, a cheap defense that I think can generate reasonable pressure. Um, but yeah, defense, that's something you guys are paying up for, paying down for. Uh, this week, I mean, we're seeing DraftKings really pricing down some of the uh, low-end defenses. Or are you guys tempted at all to take that or uh, – you know, stick towards kind of another price tier at defense. Yeah, I'm definitely tempted to uh, pay down. Uh, the Jets are definitely a team that I've looked at. I wish the price would be a little cheaper. Uh, I, I wish DraftKings would be more aggressive with it, but I still think it's so certainly in play this week as an option. I'm not really someone that pays for defense too much in because uh, I play cash games and I'm all about just getting that higher floor. But I think in GBPs, there's a lot of merit to it, right? Like the Eagles were a great example. You see a terrible quarterback like a Falk, right? Uh, last week in that spot against the Eagles. I think it made a ton of sense. You see if the Giants were on the main slate with the Patriots, the Patriots would be a phenomenal tournament option. Uh, Brandon, how are you approaching, uh, you know, defenses in tournaments uh, this season so far compared to last? Well, my prediction is that defense might be phased out of the daily fantasy landscape because the sites, they obviously cater to the consumer over the long term and the sites have to deal with extreme frustration on the part of fantasy players when there's a must-have defense. We've all dealt with that where we, we play on a tournament slate and, and we're dead because we have no exposure to a defense that goes off for 25 points. Um, and the sites, uh, I think they might end up phasing out the defense because it is so randomly important for tournament lineups and you have these sort of must must have defenses um but given that they haven't phased them out yet i do think it's important to apply some energy to it um i think uh 
the methodology of ASA is an opportunity focused methodology, which is the right, the right way to go. Um, giving yourself an option to have those 20 point defensive games. And I still think that this is an area where most DFS players are kind of lazy because it is such a noisy position and they just sort of look at mean projections and go with defenses that have a, a reasonable mean projection. But that's, that's not ideal for a tournament. You need the, the guys that have the, the teams that have the highest probability of getting to those big scores. Yeah. Any comments on that, Stuart, with uh, Brandon's thought process on that? You want to move on to the picks? Yeah. I mean, so just one question more than anything. Um, so yeah, like I think we do acknowledge that it is a noisy and kind of high variance position. So would that make kind of the optimal approach to be to spread around your defenses, uh, you know, and, and kind of like, like, I don't know, I, I tend to keep pretty tight uh, exposure at like quarterback in particular, but uh, defense seems like an opportunity where there is kind of these defenses that really pop off and, and can potentially eliminate you from a slate if you don't have them. Uh, seems to me like kind of in, in, in MME tournament play, you might want to have a pretty wide player pool of defenses. Um, does that make sense? Or, or, or Yeah, you want to have a, a wide player pool of defensive, defenses that have opportunity that score high on the opportunity metric and so have some chance of having the 20 point outcome. Um, and you want to just X out those defenses that, that don't have the upside because some defenses that don't have upside will still score reasonably in terms of projected fantasy point per dollar. And so other people will have them in the player pool and will play them, but they might, they might be lineup killers. Yeah, I think the best way maybe to build the defense pool if you're building like it from an MME route is really just whatever teams, like kind of what you said, Brandon, like whatever teams you feel like don't have the upside, just cancel them out. And then listen, every week it's different. Like there are weeks where sometimes there's a ton with upside and there's week, weeks where there's not a lot. So um, don't necessarily have a set number every week. Like every week I need eight defenses in my pool, but just let kind of the slate dictate what's going to happen. Does that sound more uh, kind of what you were explaining, uh, Brandon? Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's exactly right. And the only, um, the only time you would want to deviate from that advice is either by playing the cheapest possible defense on a week, if they're halfway viable, because that will give you access to a corner solution, possibly a line of construction that's different every other spot. Um, or um, in a middling field tournament, like, say a 3000 person tournament play uh, play the high priced defenses because they, they do often have uh, a high probability of a, of a, of a top four type defensive score. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Any final thoughts on that Stuart? You want to move on to the picks? No, sounds good. I think kind of your strategy falls kind of where I'm landing uh, with, with defense. All right, let's move on to the quarterbacks. And listen, I think this is a week to maybe pay up at the quarterback position. I don't know. It, it, it's a weird week. Uh, there's not a lot that I want to pay for right now. And there's a lot of injury news that's still to come uh, that we can obviously discuss and break down, at least in like the running back value range that could be opening up. But I see myself more going to guys at the top, like Mahomes, Jackson, Watson, uh, Wilson, certainly in play. I like Murray, Ryan, uh, Jared Goffing is a phenomenal option. I love that Rams Niners game. Um, what, what about you, Stuart? We'll kick it off with you. How are you approaching the quarterback? Cause I think the approach is to really, uh, kind of start spending your money maybe this week at the quarterback position. Yeah. And it seems like DraftKings has kind of forced you to do that. I mean, it, it, 
in this week, I mean, we have a lot of guys priced over six. And I feel like earlier this season, there were really a handful of guys in kind of that five to three or five, three to like five, nine range that, that were in play. And it's now just like, looks pretty thin below six. Uh, and, and so many of the guys that we would want to consider playing are, are above six. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I like Mahomes a lot all the way at the top. Uh, Kansas City and our air yards projection model uh, projects to, I mean, dominate the slate in terms of, you know, total air yards uh, thrown in the game. I think they're like uh, at 377 over Houston is in second uh, at like 340, something like that. So, um, I mean, I think uh, Mahomes is in just a really strong spot and uh, super viable in cash. And also even at the high price, I'm willing to pay up for in some tournaments. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because I, I think, and you know, we'll get to injuries in a bit, but uh, you know, if, the, if those injuries don't play out, like I'm having a hard time finding value at the skill positions, which I think you really lends itself towards paying up at quarterback. And, uh, you know, I think if you do pay up, it's going to kind of squeeze you at some other position uh, where, where you're kind of going to have to pay or, you know, you're going to play a guy you maybe don't want to. But uh, yeah, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson and Baltimore are uh, projecting pretty high in our air yards model and his his floor is obviously pretty high uh, given his run ability. Um yeah, Watson, Kyler Murray, I like a lot. Um, I think, you know, we just saw Deshaun torch Atlanta, and I think he's got kind of that similar floor to Jackson. I mean, he's, his scrambling has, has ticked up in recent weeks, and, um, yeah, I think he's a super strong play uh, in cash and tournaments as well. Yeah, what about you, Brandon? What's your kind of approach here with the quarterbacks this week uh, based on maybe not having some value right now at this current time? I, th I think you want to pay up for the obvious guys, the guys that are in the great spots and uh, likely to do well. Exactly as Stewart says, you want to pay up for Lamar, Mahomes, Watson, Ryan, Murray. And then when you're taking some shots, do Goff and Prescott. Um, the one cheap guy that you might try is Minshew because he has natural pairings and New Orleans has kind of looked a little spotty defensively. Um, and also Fournette will be extreme chalk. So it will give you the option to for, to pivot off Fournette and, and try for passing game approach. I mean, it's not super likely to work out, but it's not likely to work out, but it's a, it's a worthy tournament punt. And just to, just to go to quarterback philosophy, I agree with Stuart entirely. This is a, this is a week to pay up for quarterback. We sort of wore out the topic last week of, of how quarterback tends to be the position with the highest projected fantasy points per salary dollar. So it's where you should focus your salary dollars. Um, that is true again this week. It's also, it's also a position where just from a statistics 101 standpoint, you should kind of be kind of be playing it safe at quarterback and seeking variance from the other positions like wide receiver because if you if you think about the quarterback it's it's many observations that's happening over the course of a game uh there's many many plays so the likelihood that something totally unexpected happens over the course of those many many plays is actually kind of small um the likelihood that uh, a quarterback of lesser talent with lesser talented wide receivers and a worse offensive line and all and a worse defensive matchup, the likelihood that that guy running 50 plays outperforms Mahomes is just really, really small. So you might as well just 
let statistics play in your favor, go for more talent, better opportunities, pay the price for it, and then seek your variance from the wide receiver position where at the, at the mid range, you're talking about seven targets and, and one of them could easily just randomly be 50 yards instead of 10 yards and you, and you get your variance there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, let's move on. Uh, anything else at quarterback, Stuart? Do you have a cheap guy you want to mention? Like, I, I mean, Rosen's down there at 4,500, but I'm not really dabbling in these guys. Uh, anything you want to mention here for the cheap quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, I do want to ask you guys about a quarterback that has, dare I say, elite receiving rep weapons, a very strong offensive line, and, you know, I think a really great matchup from a passing standpoint. Um, Kirk Cousins, I mean, I think at 5'2", uh, Philadelphia has been really tough on the run and very porous against the pass. And uh, I mean, I think if the Minnesota coaching staff is smart, they uh, might try to lean a little more pass heavy than they usually do. Is Kirk Cousins do anything for you guys at five two, or is um, you know just too thin? Yeah, I will say I saw Cousins. There was a little narrative behind him. He's like says like when you know when people are like talking about him in the media and people are down and like gives him an edge and he says he plays better with an edge. I don't know forever. Whatever you think that's worth, uh, I saw he was talking about that. How he feels slighted by people. Um, I have I have the shirt. Oh, do you got the, the yeah, you like that shirt? I, yeah, I have the shirt. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is how he was, and we, we've seen that like uh, you know kind of like the shirt you're talking about. Uh, so yeah, fifty two hundred. He's one of those guys I consider. I think Bridgewater again. Uh, he has elite options, so like he has the opportunity to. It just depends what you think of that Jaguars defense. Um, Brandon, I think what about pretty you? Good. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, um, <laughs> that that's the thing. So, what are you kind of doing with uh, the cheap quarterbacks, Brandon? Is there anyone that you can really dabble in down here? If you were paying for cheap, who are you going to? And what do you think of? Uh, what do you think of Stewart's take on Cousins? I actually like it a little bit. Yeah, I think it's it's a worthy punt. Um, you're playing it more for the correlation, just the ease of of what the overall lineup construction would look like. Um, you'd run it back with Thomas, which is a, a straightforward, or, or you would have some straightforward lineup constructions, not Thomas, sorry. You, you could run it back with Ertz. Um, and I think uh, the correlation that you could embed makes it, makes it a worthy option, but I don't really see it, especially if, if we get some extreme chalk, I haven't really followed the injury news today, but if like Gurley's out or something, it will just change the slate where there's just no, no rationale to do it. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. It depends on how it's going to shake up with everything. So um, yeah, uh, I got nothing else at quarterback. You guys want to move on to running back and talk about the, because I think it's a really important position this week. Let's do it. All right, so running back, I mean, listen, uh, there's no McCaffrey on this slate, but th there's a lot going on here. Uh, and I'm really interested, like at the top, we have Ezekiel Elliott, we have Cook, and we have Kamara. Those are three guys that are, are very elite plays, going to get a ton of volume, but not the sexiest matchups, right? Like Zeke, he's had some issues with his volume that we're not as uh, enticed by, uh, but, but he's got like, a great game script and a great team total. You got Dalvin Cook, where the matchup against the Eagles can't be tougher, right? Like the Eagles and, and running the ball, that's one of the toughest you can find. And then you got a guy like Kamara in Jacksonville. He's already got a question, uh, a questionable mark on him. Uh, running back at the top is tough. So how are you guys kind of, uh, how are you kind of leaning with that one, Stuart? Yeah, I mean, I think it really, like, you know, every bone in my body wants to play Dalvin Cook. Um, guy just gets elite volume and is also an elite efficiency running back. But, uh, yeah, i definitely going to have to think hard about, you know, this Philly defense and, uh, you know, if that's going to 
maybe necessitate moving off of Cook. Um, Elliot, I, I can't really see myself playing. I mean, like the volume could be there, but we've also seen Dallas get ahead and, you know, big in games and just kind of remove Elliot from the game. And uh, I don't know, I'm just not convinced that even his like efficiency is so great such that like, you know, he can get there on, you know, uh, like a 15 touch game or whatever, you know, you would really need him to uh, get, you know, four quarters of, of a full workload. And I definitely think there's some risk uh, that he doesn't do that uh, as we saw against Miami. Uh, yeah, Camaro seems very, you know, pretty, pretty playable. Uh, I think the Jacksonville defense is, is pretty good, but, uh, you know, Camaro's volume, uh, is right up there with guys like Cook and, and maybe, you know, tick below McCaffrey, uh, or Fournette. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, to me, like if I can talk myself into Dalvin Cook, that might be the guy I'm playing at the high end, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really got to think about this Philadelphia defense. I, I could, um, see myself moving away from cook uh, and cash and maybe just sliding down to some of the more mid price, just like elite volume running backs. Yeah. There's some mid price elite volume running backs there that you can uh, definitely go to that are really good plays. Uh, my favorite at the top right now, I think it's Zeke is the guy I'm going to, but again, like, man, things could shake up t- so much, right? Uh, if Kamara's out that we could have uh, Murray getting a ton of value. If Gurley's out, we could have Malcolm Brown become value. And then we'll be able to spend up for some, one of these running backs easily. It won't even be difficult to do. Um, Brandon, how are you approaching the top end running backs? Who is your favorite? If, uh, you know, if we have to play one of these guys, who's your guy? Cause mine's Elliot. Uh, where are we drawing the line there? Well, uh, 7,000 or, or what? 6,500. I think. Um, you could, the, the thing is we don't know what's going to happen with David Johnson. I was mainly approaching it as like the big three with like Zeke cook and Camara. You could throw in David Johnson in there if you'd like to, but again, he has a questionable tag that we just don't know what's going to happen. And it's a back, which is really concerning. So I was mainly talking about the big three at the top. Yeah, I would, I would roll Zeke among the big three. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Do you, what do you think about Dalvin Cook in that really difficult matchup? I mean, we're definitely like team volume. We like guys that get a lot of volume, but like, uh, is that Eagles matchup just too difficult? I think, I think you should play, um, I think you should play it either the receivers, maybe 20, 25% of your lineups should have some exposure to that game. And if you, if you have exposure to that game, you'll want to tend to be on the, on the Viking side. And you either play Cook or, or you play the the pass catchers, and I think it would I think it would be reasonable to do that in like a fifth of your lineups or something. Gotcha. Uh, so so yeah, I, I I think you can play him despite the tough matchup because, as I alluded to earlier, I think this is really an ownership week more than others because it's a ten game slate. Well, what about this? What about this next range then? Because like I think there are so many guys that you could look at and make cases for, right? Nick Chubb, you can just make case for his volume's great, and he's just a really talented back. And uh, people might want to might not want to play him after watching Monday Night Football and just seeing how bad that offense was. Uh, so yeah, I think Nick Chubb is intriguing. David Johnson, if he's in, I'm sure he's going to be a good option. Fournette, he's just a volume guy. You got Mark Ingram. I mean, going against the Bengals, any running back against the Bengals works for me. Aaron Jones, another guy, uh, volume. He's a Sunday night guy, but if you're playing like those Sunday, Monday slates, he could certainly be in play. Again, another volume guy in the same exact range. Le'Veon Bell, uh, make the case for him. Just has seen an insane amount of volume, and now he gets a better quarterback play with Sam Darnold being back. Uh, Gurley, again, if he's going to be into the game, he gets an insane amount of volume. We saw him on over 90% of the snaps last week, which we haven't seen, uh, you know, all season long. So, 
um, that's a 50 total as well. So how do you kind of uh, handle these guys in like the mid six K range? Yeah, I mean, Bell I like a lot. His price is kind of deflated as if Luke Falk was going to be the quarterback. And uh, I think we're expecting Darnold to play. And I think uh, the volume has been there for Love Bell. And uh, I think where he's been hurting is just an offense that can get him, uh, you know, to, to the red zone where he can kind of do work and hopefully put up a multi-touchdown game. But I think with Darnold back, that's really just going to improve uh, his situation and kind of outlook. Um, yeah, and Fournette, I'm feeling like I'm going to have to uh, – I've kind of – I think been on the show a bit of a format, uh, you know, fader, but uh, I might really have to start to think seriously about uh, incorporating more Fournette because, uh, yeah, the volume is there in a huge way. Um, definitely, I mean, again, I do have some concerns. Like uh, even last week, I think he, uh, the, the Jaguars just ran a ton, a ton of plays that I don't think will can be like an expected norm for them. But uh, yeah, definitely got to think seriously about Fournette, just given the amount of volume he's getting. Uh, also kind of in the Dalvin Cook situation where uh, New Orleans is a pretty tough uh, run defense. But, uh, you know, I think the one saving grace with Fournette and, and even Cook to an extent is uh, both those guys are pretty effective pass catchers. And uh, I do think uh, Philadelphia for sure can be beat through the air. And New Orleans, I think you want to uh, attack through the air as well. So, so I do think they have kind of some pass catching equity that make them uh, – Fairly safe plays. Um, yeah, th that is fair. I wasn't really thinking about that equity too much there. I'm with you. I think Fournette and Bell are my like my one-two in this range that I like. Gurley was the other guy I was kind of leaning to. Uh, who's your third guy in this range? But, I mean, the Gurley question mark is just kind of tough right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of punt on Gurley just because I don't really know what his health situation is going to be. Uh, Chris Carson, I like a decent amount. Um he got hit with a Q tag, by the way, like literally like earlier before we got on the show. So uh, who knows okay. if it's a big deal, but that's just worth noting. Yeah. I mean, I think it is a good spot for him. Uh, you know, Cleveland got gashed by, you know, Matt Breida and Freeman uh, just last week. And uh, Pete Carroll and that Seattle team has just a uh, like unwavering co commitment to uh, Chris Carson that, uh, you know, he's another guy who just has elite volume. And uh, I think we have question marks about his efficiency, but at 6,000, you know, going up against Cleveland uh, with a with a coaching staff that likes Chris Carson, and if spot a lead, they they would love to just you know pound the ball with their with their ground game. Uh, and Chris Carson's intriguing at six. Alrighty, Brandon, what about you? How are you approaching this range of the six K ish range, seven K of just all these volume guys? Uh, they will be very popular, and I will play a lot of them. Uh, so I think Fournette, Bell, Chubb, these guys will be exceptionally popular and I'll play a lot of them. Um, but I do think it is a slate to look for differentiation. Um, Devonta Freeman had a notable game last week. He had, he had the kind of game that we, that we want. It was just running back went off so severely. You didn't notice, um, I think he's an upside guy that I'll have. He'll be low-owned again. Uh, I'll take my chances on Devonta Freeman. Um, the Washington versus Miami game is very interesting at running back for GPP. Um, there's a narrative that Adrian Peterson will be the guy. The coach has said that he intends to run the ball, and the thinking is that it will be – Peterson and a lot of Peterson. Um, I'll have a scattering, but it doesn't strike me as a great tournament play. I might try to go against narrative and just take the 
15 to 20 touches of Chris Thompson, hope for one or two big pass breaks. Um, and then Drake is viable at, at 4,400. Um, Carson, the questionable tag, it, it won't deter me if he's playing, I'll play, I'll play some Carson and that's, that's about where I am. Yeah, I'm probably in on Drake the most as like the cheapest running backs. I also like your Freeman uh, call. And again, like I think we're right on Freeman. I think things are moving for him. Uh, Devontae, that is. Um, what about you, Stuart? How are you approaching these cheaper guys? I think uh, if you force me to pick one before all this value shakes up, uh, I, I think Drake is the guy that I'm leaning to um, because I think he has a ton of upside. Yeah, I mean, if you force me, like I don't, I don't want to be forced to pick one of the, the cheap running backs uh, short of, you know, uh, Edmonds or Malcolm Brown opening up uh, due to injury. Uh, Peterson to me feels kind of like a, maybe like a Joe Mixon type of last week where it's just like, yeah, maybe he's in a great spot. Um, but I don't know. I just like, I don't even know how old Peterson is, but that's just not a guy I want to be trusting that Washington offense is an offense that, you know, I want to have uh, one of my players tied to and, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it like we kind of had a similar situation with Wayne Gallman uh, the the other week, where it's similarly pr- priced guy. But uh, I just thought that that Giants offense was so much, uh, you know, more productive than we can expect Washington to be. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I I don't think I want to dip below, uh, you know, into this lower lower range unless we see, uh, you know, one of those guys open up due to injury from, uh, you know, RB one. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough because there's not a lot of guys like that. I definitely think waiting for that value to shake up is super important. Uh, Let's head on over. Let's go talk about the receivers now. And if you look at these receivers at the top, I mean, there's a lot of guys to talk about, right? Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Cooper Cup, who's just been a a monster this season, just getting a ton of volume. Uh, Brandon, I'll kick it off with you. Who are the high-end receivers you're looking at? Well, DeAndre Hopkins... We're just waiting, right? KC has allowed a lot of points and he was drafted top three in season long, often number one. He's, his health is good. His quarterback is great. The opportunity is there this week. Uh, so let's just chalk, chalk it up to noise in the early goings and play some, some Hopkins. I will be doing a lot of that. Um, there's natural run back. You play those Hopkins, Watkins lineups, which will be popular. I'll, I'll be there a lot. Um, I'll, my fades, uh, fade Odell, just based on the eyeball test, I will not be able to get away from that. And I just can't, I, I can't have much Odell, can't have much fits because I think he has a high probability of a middling outcome, but but to me, unlikely to be on the tournament winning slate. Uh, Fade Landry for the same reason, high probability of a middling outcome. Uh, Thielen is a great play. He'll be popular. Boyd is a good tournament distribution. Um, could be, could be a big play guy. I like him. Um, I think uh, Amari Cooper is, is a strong play. Um, then you have a lot of great punts this this week. I think, um, I think Jacksonville is sort of interesting on on punts. I think you could play Westbrook. Um, you've got 
Westbrook is one of one guy who's going to have very low ownership because his his expectation is low. Um, but he's the he's a guy that has a, a very strong probability of of getting to 25, 30 DraftKings points relative to other guys in his price range. And um, because Fournette's going to be so, so popular, it it's worthy as a tournament strategy to fade Fournette and go with the passing game. Westbrook has that upside. To me, it's really likely to be Westbrook. Uh, DJ Shark uh, will have Lattimore, and Lattimore has – there was an early season fashion to say that he was bad, but I think he's good. <laughs> I think you're better off uh, going with the long data in that case. Um, so I think I think Westbrook is a is a solid play with good upside. Yeah, I love that Westbrook call. I think he's going to be a phenomenal low on play. I'm already on him, and I'm definitely getting some exposure to him. Stuart, how about you? How are you approaching these receivers this week? Because there, there's a lot to like this week. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about wanting to pay up at quarterback and uh, wanting to pay middle up at running back. So I think there's going to be a position where you're going to have to pay down at. And right now it's feeling like receiver is that position. Um, you know, I, I like Hopkins a lot. Um, but then beyond that, like Thielen, I think, is in a good spot. Cooper, uh, Cup, and Amari are in good spots, but like not just total smash spots where I'm, you know, willing to – uh, take risks at other positions to get to them. So um, I'm guessing I'm probably going to only pay up for like one receiver uh, looking at, at Hopkins. And, you know, if Tyreek Hill plays, like, I mean, I think he's interesting, but uh, both those guys, uh, Hopkins and Hill are on two teams that were projected to throw a ton of air yards. And I like to get, you know, their, their fair share of looks. Um, but yeah, I see myself probably sticking to the middle or even low tiers with receivers. Um Let's see. Uh, you know, I like um, I like what you guys are talking about with Jacksonville uh, Shark and Westbrook. I think are two uh, you know compelling plays, and I just think figuring out the right one there is uh, you know going to be pretty important. Uh, probably want to dig in more and uh, try to reach a consensus on what I want to do there. Um, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I actually kind of like Jarvis Landry. I think his. Uh, his target share and, and air yard share is trending in the right direction. I think, uh, I think we posted on our Twitter account, some visuals, just comparing, uh, the volume of Landry to David Njoku and, uh, suggesting that there's pretty high negative correlation there. Uh, I think it makes sense. I mean, Landry, you ideally want to operate out of the slot and kind of in, uh, you know, short to middle, middle routes. And, uh, with Njoku gone, uh, it uh, really, I think opens up some space for Landry there. So I'm actually intrigued by Landry a little bit. Um, but yeah, Odell as well, kind of fading. Uh, I think his, uh, his volume is trending in the wrong direction. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'll probably take some looks at, at the mid and maybe, maybe one mid tier guy, one high, uh, you know, high price guy, but, uh, definitely gonna try to do more of my work in the, uh, sub five range at receiver. I think just given how I want to be playing some of the other positions. Yeah, that's interesting. I also like one guy in the mid-range, I guess you could call it, uh, Robert Woods, right? 5,600. Uh, that was with Brandon Cooks going to be out, but I still think there's still opportunity there for him. And with him having a, a questionable tag, uh, they say he's going to play, but with a concussion, they might like ease off him a little bit. So I think there's uh, some opportunity there for him in that big 50.5 total. Uh, like Calvin Ridley, too, at 5,700. I think he's a really good option there against Arizona that you could go to. Um, anything else you want to bring up with the cheap receivers, Brandon? You want to move on to the tight ends? I think we I think we could move on. Um, it's just worth saying that 
it's a it's a week where you you will get um, possibly lots of benefit by playing these low ownership guys that have poor equity, guys that have known upside. Just your Cortland Sutton's, Robbie Anderson guys that that have uh, known upside, one play upside. They have low equity, but since the rest of your lineup is going to look so similar to everyone else's, it's 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 worthwhile looking for deviation in in those in those spots. Certainly, let's head on over to tight end. And when I first opened up tight end on the slate, uh, the first thing that popped out to me was Kittle, right, fifty two hundred. Like I expect him to be the chalk in that fifty point five total. He's the number one option there in San Francisco. I think he's the best play uh, of the slate at the tight end position. We'll head to you, Stuart. How are you approaching tight end this week? Yeah, I'm with you, and it seems like a pretty narrow position this week, uh, you know, which, again, is going to make me, I think, want to pay down at receiver. But, yeah, Kittle, I mean, 5-2 is, is a bit low for him. Uh, you know, the San Francisco receivers, uh, wide receivers specifically, are, are a bit of a guessing game, but Kittle appears to be kind of the one constant. And uh, his production has been down a little bit, but, I mean, the peripherals are there as far as uh, red zone target share, air yard share. Uh, you know, his catch rate and, uh, you know, air, uh, you know, it's all there. So yeah, I love Kittle at five, two. Um, and then I think there's also like intriguing guys around him. Hooper has, I think been a completely different player this year and is really, uh, soaking up a lot of Atlanta's looks, uh, maybe to the detriment of a guy like Julio Jones. Um, yeah. And, and we talked a little bit about some interest in some of the Minnesota guys, particular receivers, um so Ertz is uh I think probably lower uh equity from like a per dollar standpoint but if so many people are going to be condensed on Kittle um you know I think Ertz is just a natural pivot off of him for, for only 200 more yeah how about you Brandon I mean you you talk about the chalk is going to be condensed listen it's going to be condensed on Kittle so are you just going like a you know x amount of your player pool or how are you approaching him here um well I think I think Kittle, Andrews, and Kelsey should should be uh, deserve chalk. So you should be having a lot of exposure to those guys. Um, you could mix in some Ertz. The one guy that I'll be playing a lot more than the field uh, is Jared Cook. Um, the price tag is very appealing, and I feel like Bridgewater. Um, in week four, he was very, very conservative and just dishing little three-yard passes. And, and, and then in week five, he was passing down the field more. Um, so he's not, he's not passing down enough, and he's not good enough to target as a quarterback in week six. But I think all of a sudden they're viable in every position. And um, I think maybe sites are low on Jared Cook and and the the benefits of him going off as a thirty four hundred player are are huge. Yeah, no, I could certainly see that. The guy I like the most is like the cheap option. Uh, you know, people are talking about OJ Howard. I'm not biting on that yet. Uh, it's Gerald Everett in that Niners game. That's the guy that I like the most at the thirty six hundred range. Uh, who, who are some of the guys you're liking, Stuart, for cheaper at tight end? Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by Everett, and especially if Cooks is out. Um, you know, I could see Los Angeles going a little more uh, tight end heavy sets. And uh, yeah, he's gotten some gotten some good looks from uh, Jared Goff so far this year. So uh, definitely one of the guys I'm going to be looking at if I'm spending down at the end. 
All righty. Uh, before we kind of get on out of here, let's let's talk about defenses. Uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Let's pick some defenses that we like. So, Brandon, who are the high upside defenses this week that you think can take down the tournament? Well, I think I think Jets are so ideal from a tournament construction standpoint that you might uh, you might want to go there with a lot of lineups. Of course, you'd be less inclined to go if some of the cheap running backs become heavy chalk. Gurley's out. Um, but I think uh, the cheap options, Falcons, Jets, very good options. Um, Washington, you have to take some chances on just in case Miami is ultra, ultra terrible. And living in Miami, I can say that the, the level of hope is very, very low at the moment. Um, I think uh, you could take some KC defense. Uh, just on opportunity set um and yeah i i i don't think it's a huge standout week i think maybe it's one of those weeks you pointed out where there there are five or six viable defenses taking into account pricing on an opportunity set and you should just go with those uh, what about you, Stuart? Any defenses sticking out to you? Uh, you know, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, rattle them off again. Who are some of the defenses that you think could be really valuable this week? Yeah, so actually our most recent Twitter post, I just actually highlighted some defenses that are uh, kind of topping our projection system in terms of a uh, projected QB hits per $1,000. And uh, sure enough, leading the way, the Jets, I mean, at, at 3.8 uh, QB hits per $1,000, per yeah, I mean, at 1.5, like, it's pretty easy to get there. And uh, I think they actually project in kind of a middling capacity. Um, yeah, and historically, like, the Jets have been, I think, a perfectly decent defense, um, you know, and with the ability to produce some defensive touchdowns. So at 1.5, I mean, that, that's kind of one I want to be on. Uh, Atlanta at 2.3 is projecting to have our second second most QB hits on the slate. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Uh, Arizona offensive line has been quite weak, and Kyler Murray, Murray's uh, scrambling tendency – yeah, he's going to get loose on some, but he's also going to, you know, take some sacks when he can't escape. So definitely intrigued by Atlanta. Uh, we also talked about Houston's kind of uh, ineffectiveness in the offensive line. And we, I think we know KC plays much better defensively at home and they can jump ahead early against Houston. I see some good opportunities for Kansas City to apply pressure to a Houston offense that, that, that really has struggled to prevent pressure in the past. Um so yeah, those are kind of three or uh, three or four teams that, that I'm looking at defensively. Uh, we spent the show talking about how we want to pay up at some of the offensive positions. So definitely think I'm going to be spending down at defense, maybe all the way down uh, at New York. All righty. We got to get on out of here, guys. Thanks a lot for joining us here on the Advanced Sports Analytics Show. Really enjoyed doing the show with you guys. Once again, we'll be back next week. For me, Travis Mangone, Stewart, and Brandon Adams, we are out of here.